Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. This is Heart Health Radio where you can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. Formation. Dave Alexander behind a big microphone along with Dr. Franklin Weefald. How are you and, doing today? And talk about. Yeah, what? Get better. Yeah. And stay healthy. Yep, yep, yep. Take a bow, Dave. Take a bow. It was a week ago Wednesday. So we're talking a one week from last, you know, this, this past Wednesday. I had my surgery. And we got a jam-packed show in response to that. Dr. Brian Bolden. From Wake Med Heart and Vascular is with us. My wife is in the studio. Hi, Annie. Hi. Yeah, we, we had to give uh, a, a big, you know, push and look at yeah. how surgery affects families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's just we got to, you know, let people know that the family support is really key. So I wanted to bring in my favorite Family supporter. <laughs> she's and, she's helped me out. Of course, I'm not cleared to drive yet. Well, so in order to get let here, me ask I had a question. To you know, everybody says, what? "Doctor, can I drive?" Yeah, and I go, "I don't know. You may <laughs> drive, but can you drive?" I, I'm not you cleared. Know? I'm not cleared. Doctor Brian Bolton joins us from WakeMed Heart and Vascular, sir. Good job. I survived the procedure. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, you did. You did fantastic. I was really pleased with uh, you know every aspect of the operation itself and the recovery. And you know, you were a phenomenal patient, and it was you know privileged to get to know your wife and you know be a part of this chapter of your life. Well, you know, I, I had dinner at the Alexanders last night, and I was just amazed. You know, he looked just normal, and you know, how many patients recover this quickly? Quite a few, don't they? Um, yeah, I mean, it, the, if everything goes very smoothly in the hospital, you know, this is in the recovery process. I mean, this is what's the, you know, the potential is out there for that. So absolutely, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a, uh, um, a joint effort between the, the care team and the patient. And, and, uh, um, and so, you know, everything went, went very well. And, uh, and so been, you know, been pleased with all aspects of things. And if somebody's motivated and follows the advice of their physician, you know, yeah, they can have an excellent recovery process. Yeah, let me ask you a couple questions because I was wrong on this show about three weeks ago when I thought and said that off-pump bypass surgery was reserved for a single vessel and maybe, you know, a little bit more. And as I understand it, Dave, whole surgery was off-pump. Can you explain Correct. how that is and and how the heck did you do that? Because when I you know, was in my prime, <laughs> I'm over the hill, it was not done. And so kudos to you. How did, how did, how do you manage to do extensive bypass surgery without the bypass pump, removing all the blood from the body and putting it through a machine and putting it back? Sure. Well, you know, before I you can comment on that, I, you know, uh, kudos to where it deserves. I was, you know, trained at a very high volume center and one of the best centers in the country for cardiothoracic surgical training that was emory and that was an area of focus and people throughout the world would actually come and observe and learn from from the surgeons there and and uh so uh you know you, you always stand on the backs of the people that come before you and and dr john puskis was 
know, was my mentor in that. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, from, from the beginning of my practice as a surgeon, it's something that I've incorporated and, uh, um, and so it's, it, even though it's the same, you know, result, the same, uh, at the end where you end up with two bypasses, four bypasses or the same actual operations conducted very differently and, and the techniques are somewhat different. Uh, and so it's a, it's a skill set that, that, you know, needs to be developed and maintained. Uh, but, you know, what's been shown throughout the, the years is that, you know, higher volume surgeons are able to get better outcomes and, and superior outcomes mm. co- compared to other surgeons and, and compared to in, a, in some unique scenarios, uh, or not unique scenarios, but common scenarios, uh, to uh, um, compared to traditional bypass surgery. Yeah. In, in layman's ahead. terms, am I correct that he keeps talking about off-pump? There's two ways to do this thing. One is to stop my heart completely and then take over from the heart, you use a pump to, yeah, to pump so you, my blood you around. you the aorta off. Right. And then you put a hole in the aorta and, and you put blood back in and you take the blood out from the right side of the heart or the right veins. The, and, so, and the other way is to slow my heart yeah, down. Yeah. So, Brian, tell us more about how this is actually done because I think it's just amazing. Sure. Um, so, you, uh, you know, you're correct. The you know, traditional way when we say on pump is using the heart-lung bypass machine and we refer to that as the pump. And so that's, you know, that's where you stop the heart and, and uh, support the patient utilizing the heart-lung bypass machine. Um, and then with, on this, you know, the non-beating uh, collapsed heart, you're able to, to uh, you know, sew on the arteries of the heart. Um, off-pump is without using that machine. So therefore, the, the, you know, the heart's still beating and that's, you know, what's keeping the patient alive during the operation. And so, uh, you know, you can, you can, through the chest being open, you can um, position the heart in a variety of different positions to get to the di- different sides of the heart to sew on the arteries. So just like, you know, you, if you stand on your head, uh, you know, your heart can still beat. You can kind of elevate the heart and it still is going to work just fine. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, and then there's um, some great devices that have been developed by companies and, and uh, that stabilize a focal position of the heart. So it's easy way to think about it is if you have a, a little, uh, um, you know, a small little, you know, fork in, the, um, in, in between the tines of the fork, there's some suction cups that kind of goes on either side of the vessel that kind of will then hold, hold that part of the, art, the heart still. So then the actual part of the heart and the vessel you're sewing on is is relatively still in space and so oh okay yeah i was wondering to be able to how do you though you have to attach the bypass to the aorta the big tube coming out of the heart how do you punch a hole in that and and sew the bypass on it while you know the blood is still flowing i i tell us how you do that sure so yeah so um it's magic referring to is that you know with the some some of the bypasses are used or when we use an artery and, and you cut one end, you leave one end intact from its source and then they cut the other end and sew that onto the heart. Another is where you know, we take an artery or vein and sew one end of it to the artery beyond the blockage and then we need a source of the blood. And so the other, the source will be coming from the, the, the aorta and the aorta is simply the tree trunk of the your arterial tree. And so if we sew an, an artery to the aorta, it becomes, you know, it's obviously going to deliver blood. To wherever we sew the other end to, so um, the 
know, there's two ways that are commonly done. One is that you can put just a small, what we call side biting clamp on the aorta. So oh, okay. It, just, uh, it um, excludes the blood flow through a small area of the aorta, and then blood can just go around the area that you've clamped. Uh, and then the second is with a device called the heart string device, and basically. Uh, what that is is that um, you know that we'll punch a hole in the aorta and simultaneously deploy this, and it's kind of like an upside down um, umbrella. Um, and so then you can sew to the hole that was created by the punch uh, because no blood is coming through because of the upside down umbrella on the inside of the aorta. Yeah. And then when you're when you're done sewing it all in, it's it's all coiled up like a um, you know a braided rug or a, a coiled up snake where you just pull on one end and it unravels as a long string. Well, that's um, amazing. And, uh, and so then once everything's sewed up and and you can, therefore, it can be removed safely without causing any bleeding. All right, uh, this, is, this is what I want to know. Okay, Dave, Dave has the podium. I have at least one family member who had more than one bypass surgery. Dr. Bolton, as much as this was a wonderful experience, how do I avoid coming back to you in 10 or 15 years? Uh, 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 listen to the likes of Dr. Weefald. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. We had, so, we had, we're going to have steaks and stuff on next weekend. So we're going to have to give them special dispensation for that. But no sugar. No sugar. We're not going to allow them to have any sugar. I'm a diabetic and I'm watching my sugar. I'm also going to be watching that cholesterol number like crazy. Yeah. Right? Correct. Yeah. And what else? Correct. Blood no. pressure. Yeah, no, no, never correct. smoke. You're, you are very correct in the fact that, you know, the type of, of heart disease that, that you have is the type of heart disease that is caused by diabetes. So when you hear that right. diabetes causes heart disease, a lot of people don't know what specifically that means. And that's, um, you know, blockages in the arteries of your heart. Uh, and so keeping your diabetes under excellent control uh, right. you know, and targeting a, um, a hemoglobin A1C with, uh, around 6. Uh, that demonstrates that over a three-month time period, you've been maintaining, you know, very tight control of your uh, diabetes. Uh, that will definitely help slow down and prevent uh, further disease. Keeping your cholesterol under excellent control, and one of the things that's been demonstrated is that if you take a drug called a statin, uh, yep. like um, Crestor or Lipitor, um, that over a 10-year period, there's an increased survival on the statin that's not related to the lowering effects of cholesterol. So we've learned that the statin uh, will also slow down the development of new blockages, even if you have optimal cholesterol uh, control and don't necessarily need a statin simply because of your cholesterol being elevated. And aspirin's um, real important too, isn't it? And aspirin's vitally important as well, absolutely, that helps prevent uh, any um, uh, future heart, you know, decreases your risk of heart attacks and helps the bypass graft stay open longer and work better. Yeah. Listen, uh, this is something I haven't kept up with. We know aspirin is good, but what is adding Plavix or Brylinta to that uh, helpful um, to keep the grafts open? Yeah, so there's been a variety of, of, of uh, trials looking at that, and, and what we refer to that as being dual antiplatelet therapy. So the first agent is aspirin, and the second agent is something that works on platelets that's a little bit stronger, like Plavix or Belinta. And, uh, and so there's been basically uh, a handful of trials that have showed us that it's, uh, it either uh, uh, doesn't help or does help, but it doesn't hurt. 
Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, what the trials have shown. So, so you don't recommend um, now that we put everybody on Plavix and aspirin. So yeah, I put everybody on Plavix for for at least three months after surgery. Okay. Now there's other data. There's other data out there that we'll utilize. For example, you know, if you've had a heart attack, there's evidence that uh, being on on Berlinta or Plavix will help decrease, you know, improve your survival. Uh, if you stay on that for at least a year after a heart attack, so if you know if yeah. a patient comes into the hospital and has had a mild heart attack, there's other reasons why we'll put them on dual anticoagulant therapy. Well, right, listen, so that- I I really appreciate your coming on, and everybody who's listening, kudos to Dr. Bolton and his entire team, the perfusionists, yep. the nurses, everybody, top fifty hospital in the country for cardiac surgery, and that just is fantastic. We've got you and your crew and the hospital here in Raleigh to save lives. Thank you, doctor. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate you giving a uh, shout out to the team because yep. with, without the, the amazing team that we have at Wake Med, there's no way that we would have been able to achieve that uh, top 50 heart hospital in the United States by IBM Watson Analytics uh, two years in a row. So we're very uh, proud of that fact, and that just highlights the expertise of the entire team. Very good. Thank you, Doctor. And, and God thank bless you. you and, and, on the show. and thank you for uh, taking care of my partner. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. A big shout-out to the folks on the ICU yeah. ward. The the first two nights, I think it was the first two nights. You know, there's a lot of lost time when you're in the hospital. I think I spent two nights in the ICU. And it was, uh, you know, they, here it is the middle of the night, and they're hopping. Yeah, Those nurses are really onto it. Okay, we'll talk. We'll talk uh, about other things today, including COVID and herd immunity. The former CDC director says, "Blame it on the Wuhan lab." Yeah, and he's he's in a heap of trouble from the press now for having said that. Yeah, because you know sure. they, they just don't want to believe it. And pop tarts are they good for you? Bad for you? I don't know. I had one this morning. Did you really? Oh, uh, I'm sure good. hoping they're good I, for you. I don't think they're good for me. but <laughs> They're not good they, for you. They're not good they for me. they sure taste good. They do. All right. That's on Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts or at hearthealthradio.com. There was a story out saying why you should never eat Pop-Tarts ever. Well, the thing is, okay, we've talked, this has been a theme of the show, and we'll talk about the low glycemic index of foods, which not only help keep you thin, take care of your diabetes, prevent heart disease, um, but um, are important to avoid, apparently now, because, number one, high fructose corn syrup, yeah, they don't use cane sugar in the U.S. anymore. No, no. So no. what is that? They take corn, yeah, and they make a gamish out of it, yeah, and and they add an enzyme which turns it into fructose and sucrose and glucose. And apparently, there are some people who believe that the high fructose corn syrup may actually be worse than regular sugar. But the big thing now they're saying is the oils, and there are certain parts of the oils that they claim will decrease your immune system's fierceness. So I want to say this, okay? Yes, Pop-Tarts aren't good for you. But like everything else, you know, give yourself a Pop-Tart. Reward yourself once a month. It's a frosted cake. How could it possibly be good for you? Absolutely. But, you know, and, and, you know, 
one thing I want to avoid, though, is this you know horrible thing of the week. You know, everything's going to kill That's you. That's right. And so the Pop-Tart you eat is not going to kill you unless you eat a Pop-Tart three times a day for your whole life. Okay. Or if you're diabetic, you should not eat At a Pop-Tart. All. At all. Catherine and Clemens, thank you for holding on. How you doing today, Catherine? I'm doing pretty good. Good. What can we do for you? Well, I'm trying to figure out what I need to do, like, as far as my heart health, because um, the last time I went to my doctor, I have a new doctor because my previous doctor retired, and when I was leaving, they said something about pulmonary hypertension, which I never heard of before, and then my, uh, they took my blood that day, and my cholesterol was 221, and my HDL was 83, and my LDL was 125, and my triglycerides was 72. So I'm not sure, like, if I should be going to a heart doctor or just um, trying to take a statin or try to take um, red red yeast rice or something to help, you know, regulate what's going on. Yeah, you brought up some really good points, but one of the things that really alarmed me, you said you had pulmonary hypertension. How do they figure out with the ultrasound? I don't know how. I mean, she said, the person that told me that just said it was on my chart, but my previous doctor never mentioned it at okay. all. So I yeah. don't even know. Yeah. I never heard it before. I never heard that I, you yeah. know, that was something I should be conscious of. Have you ever had a, a car- echocardiogram or a heart ultrasound? Where they put yes. this thing on your on your chest with with a lot of goop and they make a sound wave picture. I've had I had I have a low heart rate. Uh-huh. It's around in the like the mid forties up to fifty, and it's, I basically have what they consider a regular irregular heartbeat. It goes okay. bump bump pause bump. Okay, well you sound real healthy. One of the ways that we think okay. we can diagnose this pulmonary hypertension is by an ultrasound. And we, we do this fancy maneuver where we see how much blood is flowing through the right side of your heart and how much is flowing right. backward. And it's real important to know that you can be tagged with having pulmonary hypertension, and it's not true. Um, so, yeah, if somebody thought in the past you had pulmonary hypertension, I would get to a cardiologist and have them redo the study because... I mean, you sound great. Usually people who have pulmonary hypertension have lung disease. They're short of breath. So I'm saying, I'm not saying you don't. I'm saying that quite often in my practice, I see these numbers that come out on the ultrasound and they're just not correct. Now, can I ask you a rude question? I'm not supposed to ask women how old they are. How old are you? Well, I turned 77 in January. It's incredible. You sound so good. Mm -hmm. Um, is there a family history of heart trouble, uh, coronary well, disease? My mother, yeah. She, I don't know exactly, but uh, and my parents both deceased like 40 years ago, but she had high blood pressure and diabetes, and uh, I guess she uh, had some problems with her diabetes, and so she had some gangrene in her leg, and she had an operation, Ooh. and then she passed away oh, after I'm the so operation. I'm so sorry. All right, well, here's, here's, here's the standard thing. Um, go to a doctor, find out if you can take a statin, and ask that doctor if you should. They save lives. Um, I'm very much um, in favor of statins for everybody who can take them. Certain people can't, you know, liver disease, things like that. 
But don't listen to Facebook. Don't listen to the People's Pharmacy when they tell you statins are bad. They're great. They save lives. Second thing is exercise. And you don't need to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, if you lift weights, that's good. It does help. That's been proven. But walking 35, 40 minutes at a brisk pace, four to five times per week, that's what brings down your risk of heart trouble. And then blood pressure, keep that under control. Never smoke cigarettes. Um, and, you know, I, I think my recommendation would see, would basically be to see a cardiologist. Ask them if you need a statin. They can do other tests. You know, do you have cholesterol buildup in the arteries to the brain? In which case, that's an ultrasound test. You wouldn't, you know, you, someone like you might need a statin. And then check out this pulmonary hypertension business because we haven't talked about pulmonary hypertension in about a year. But it's a very serious condition. You have a blood pressure in your body. Yeah, 120 over 70. But when your right heart pumps to your lungs, it has to pump to get a pressure too. And anything really over 25 to 30 is high. And it can strain your heart. It can come from sleep apnea. It can come from lung disease. So if somebody put in your chart that you have pulmonary hypertension, I would definitely see a cardiologist and get that checked out. Catherine, thank you. Thank you very much. Click. At a certain age, should we all have cardiologists? No, I, I, and I'm not going to say that because that would be yeah, I don't know, kind of self-serving. Yeah. But who should see a cardiologist? Anybody with shortness of breath and chest discomfort, no matter what age you are. Because, you know, I, I've had 18-year-olds who had to have open-heart surgery. Right. Yeah, their arteries were born in the wrong place, or they were born with arteries in the wrong place. If you have a family history, if you have a very high cholesterol if you have very high blood pressure that you can't bring down or you're you and your family doctor working together because there's all sorts of ways and to fix that. Um, but you don't need to run off to a cardiologist. If you feel great, you yeah. don't smoke, your blood pressure is under control, and you don't have a family history uh, and you don't have diabetes. I mean, see your regular doctor, uh, your internist or your family physician, your primary care physician on a regular basis. But no, not everybody needs a cardiologist. Okay. We're going to talk with Rose Hoban of North Carolina Health org about vaccine eligibility. We're going to talk to my wife here in studio on Heart Health Radio. Now back to Heart Health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919 860 9783. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation on the Heart Health Radio Network and the show. Dr. Franklin Weefald, we are with us, and Rose Hoban from North Carolina Healthnews.org. Rose, thank you very much for joining us. How you doing? Welcome back, Dave. How are you doing? That's thank a bigger you. question. You know something? I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm looking at him right now, Rose, and, you know, he looks like a rose. A week ago, <laughs> a week ago Wednesday... I felt like I had been kicked by a horse. You had been. I had been. You didn't know they brought a horse in the OR and kicked you to put you to sleep? opened me wide open to the world and closed me up and did me some good. So I'm feeling good. I'm glad to to hear you back, Dave. That's great. And this is a testimony or testament to what Greg Carey got. I mean, it's just phenomenal. Yep. Listen, the uh, vaccine eligibility is starting to open up. And we're having an internal discussion here in studio. Where are we now? So about about one in three adults has had at least one vaccine in North Carolina. And one in five adults 
is fully vaccinated in North Carolina. So, um, and, you know, we're starting to see a little bit of flagging demand in, in a couple counties like Cumberland County. I heard Craven County. There's one or two others. So um, the governor said, Let, let's, you know, open up vaccine eligibility. So April 7th, it, it gets much more open and it'll be open to many, many more adults. And um, which is a good thing. I've got a lot of friends who are like, bring it on. Yeah. Well, what, who, who's who's eligible now? And then who's going to be eligible the seventh? Do you know? Because I don't we're know. Group, we're in group four. So it's folks who are adults. It's still only adults over the age of uh, 18 for the Pfizer vaccine and 16 for the Moderna vaccine because they've, you know, that's all they've studied and completed studying for right now. And um, we're in group four, which is folks who have, they're like essential workers who have a pre-existing condition that could put them at risk. So once we get to group five in early April, that's pretty much everybody. Wow. So it's going to be, uh, there's going to be hopefully a lot more demand and, and people who are looking to get vaccinated, you know, folks in their 40s and 50s who haven't been eligible up until now. Listen, I was looking at the graph of cases in North Carolina and I saw like a little uptick and it's kind of a little bit uptick yeah. every day. Is that real or, or are we seeing yeah, just a bump? I, well, you know, um, as we know, um, hospitalization is a lagging indicator uh, cases, um, you know, what we're seeing is that I think that uh, that drop-off that we saw from January onward is starting to slow. You know, the governor is, um, I think it was as of last night, a lot of those mandates went away, and I think there is a worry that we may see a little more um, case activity. I mean, we're seeing that in in Michigan, for example, they're having a, another little surge, Um I think we one of the advantages we have here in North Carolina is that the weather is warmer than in a place like Michigan. So if people want to socialize, you know, they can do it outside. It's not miserable. We had folks over in our backyard last night. We sat, you know, 10 foot apart and we were able to chat and sit around all night and uh, and visit with people. And that was great. It was plenty warm. But if you're in a place where it's colder that and you want to you know, and you're kind of feeling like, oh, you know, I've got one dose or, you know, I've got a dose, but my wife doesn't. And, you know, let's have friends over. I think they're starting to see a little more case activity. And, of course, spring break and kids in bars and, you know, they're invincible, right? So they're never going to get sick. Um, yeah, they'll or, get or sick. Or so they think. They'll bring it home is what they'll do. Well, yeah, and that is that is the that is the fear. So, but the, the good news is that many, many, and you know, I, I it, that actually is a good. It brings up a good point. Uh, something I'd like to research, which is how many people over the age of seventy-five. What percentage of those folks have been vaccinated? What percentage of folks over the age of sixty-five? My guess is that it's probably getting close to half, if not more. So, it means that those folks are less likely to be. Um, in the bullseye for the for the virus. Right. Let me ask one more thing. Do you know whether we're seeing the British and South African and Brazilian variants now in North Carolina? Because I haven't heard. What I understand, and I asked the secretary, I asked Secretary Cohen about it this week, how much testing, uh, genomic testing they're doing. We're doing a pretty low amount in North Carolina. We're only doing about four out of every thousand tests that we're doing the genomic tests. And other states are doing five out of every hundred, for example. So, you know, we really need to step it up. And Secretary Cohen said that they are starting to really ramp up that 
um, genomic testing. Apparently, the um, the variant that we are seeing most here is the British variant, which I understand is far more infectious. Um, whether it's more dangerous, well, I mean, if you're infected, it's dangerous, right? But whether it's going to make you sicker is um, is still a little bit of a question mark. Um, but we are seeing the British variant. That Brazilian variant, boy, I would be happy if we kept that away for good because right. it sounds like that one is a hot mess. Mm. Right. Rose, thank you. So, I want everybody to, to search out and to find NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org and and consider joining up for your newsletter and contributing. Thank you. Thank you so much, fellas. We'll talk to you next week. All right. We'll Take see. care. All right, we put her off long enough. Ladies and gentlemen, my wife, here in studio, the most dangerous moment of my week. No, not really. Not I really. mean, what, I, what I'm what i trying to let everybody know is that it's not just the heart team in the hospital. It's not just the surgeon. It's not just your primary care physician or your I, cardiologist. It's not just the radio host. Right, right, right. The big component of this team is the family and especially for men and uh, others it's the wife for the wives it's the husband and so i want to give a huge shout out to melissa alexander because she you know you've done a great job i mean without you he wouldn't be healing so quickly the the first nights i was home from the hospital were tragic to me. They were. Just, I could barely move. The first night, I could barely move, and I've been forcing myself up. But, but you know, in order to get up, when you've had this kind of surgery, you are supposed to have help. Yeah. How did you help him? What did you have to do to 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 help him in those first two years? Wasting me. I think the hardest thing was getting him up and out of the bed. When you're in the hospital, the beds are, are raised and you can... I mean, you don't of, have an electric bed? No. Oh, my gosh. No. Everybody should have an electric bed. I agree now. I'm kidding. <laughs> but anyway, so how did you do it? Describe how you would get him out of the bed. He would kind of put his arms over his chest and then I would kind of come over him and pull up on his one side of his be- of his uh-huh. shoulder uh-huh. to kind of lift him forward for him to bring his feet around. It was... Yeah, because w- rolling over would not be a good idea. No, and you're not because supposed the to sternum, push your hands. Yeah. You're not supposed to use yeah. your hands, your elbows. Are, are you sore in your arms? Did you hurt your back? I I mean, heard, have I you... heard, my back was sore. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. you got to be real careful because, you know, the last thing in the world you want is her to get injured. Who's going to yeah. bring me things? I know. Right. I know. So I mean, um, the other thing I, I think is is the cooking. I mean, have you – had to do more? I mean, did he ever help around the house or how are you find yourself busier? So to be honest, I work from home. So I always kind of get dinners together anyway. Uh-huh. So that wasn't a big thing. Uh-huh. Um, but I would say definitely working from home, taking care of him, getting dinners. It's, it's added. Absolutely. Is, is he whiny? No, he wants to really? do. Really, I would have expected him he to wants, be. He just wants whiny. to do. I have to. I have to kind of tape him down. I have to rope him down. Whoa! People have been telling me stop. Yeah. Just slow down. Don't do this. No, I, I disagree. I mean, yeah. as long as you're not lifting, pushing, pulling yep. with your arms, go for it. 
walking is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Don't sit in the recliner, the easy boy. I don't know if you have a Barca lounger. I, I do, yeah. You have yeah. a Barca lounger? Yes, I do. Oh it's an official God. Barca lounger. Oh, I didn't think anybody still had <laughs> yes. those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, now, this is, this is something they've told me not to bring up, but I'm going to bring it up. You just go ahead. Bowel function post-surgical oh can be extremely difficult. And you got plugged up. They pester you in the hospital. They say, now, sir, have you had a number two? Did and they I'm say like, number two? No, they didn't. They, 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 What's yeah, the term they Have you had a bowel movement? And, and I'd say, no, but, you know, there's plenty of time for that. Yeah. I mean, we put off things all the time. Don't. So what did you do when he was in agony? You basically went to nurse mode. And mm-hmm. tell me what you did because no, I think this is important. What you did. No, so basically I took, went, took a trip to the drugstore and I got those little <laughs> bottles of um, – you can have Magnesium me. something. Citrate. Citrate. Yes. Magnesium citrate. Yep. Got a couple of bottles of those, some fleets. Uh-huh. That, does anybody know magnesium citrate is a magnesium compound? You should not use that if you have kidney failure or kidney problems. Yeah. Because the magnesium can build up to toxic levels. Okay. A fleet's enema is phosphosoda. It's phosphorus. Yes. So, again, don't use that if you have kidney failure. Make sure that before you do what we're saying here, that your doctor <laughs> has said this is okay. Yes. yes. But then it didn't work the first time, did it? No, we, and prune juice and... She mixed up a deadly cocktail of prune juice and Miralax with a little pinch of gunpowder. Gunpowder. <laughs> little pinch of gunpowder. How long did it take? And was it? Let me ask another question. Was it real difficult there once are, it started? Um, all I'm going to tell you at this point, from now on, we're just going to put a line under this. We're going to stop this conversation. <laughs> no, I got one more thing to say. It took a little bit. But, but once it, it – Once it – you yeah. know, it, it was all right. Now, the important stop. thing is he, to keep, your, yeah, keep no. yourself from being plugged. Miralax and – well, but watch now. out the prune juice as much because it's got sugar in it. Now, let me tell you what we did at Johns Hopkins. <laughs> we utilized something called the black cow. Yeah. And it's milk, molasses, okay <laughs> – and it works like a charm. So saline to keep the fluids up, milk and molasses. We called it a black cow. Yes. And let me tell you, it's a, it's an enema, and it will get you going. And Thank guess you what? for sharing. It's all natural. It's all natural. Yeah. That's, Thank goodness. That's good to know. Thank you, Melissa. Oh, yeah. hey. And, uh, you know, listen, the unsung heroes. Yes. Okay? Yes. <laughs> Melissa Alexander. <laughs> Listen to what she says. Don't whine. And, and, right, right. You know? And when they ask you in the hospital, have you had a bowel movement, take it seriously. Right. It mm-hmm. is a serious medical condition, although it's embarrassing. Jim, no. Jim in Four Oaks, thank you very much for interrupting this conversation. How you doing, Jim? Well, thank you for not letting it go X-rated. God bless <laughs> Oh, come on. I'm a doctor. We're, this is a physician's I, program. I, it, I enjoy this program. I've been a loyal listener for WPTF since probably 1946. Are you kidding me? Uh, good for him. I, I'm serious. I've been wow. listening for over 70 years. Wow. But anyway, the reason I'm calling, and and I have a history of, of heart disease. Okay. My family had a history of that, so that'll take care of that question 
for you. Okay. But I have a good cardiologist. Great. Uh, he's the UNC uh, group with Dr. Janice, and uh, I'm I'm well pleased, even though I'm real close to your facility here. Yeah. Uh, I have thought sometime I would stop by for an appointment and a conversation. Uh, I had a stroke a couple of years ago, so oh, all no. my words don't come out clear or exactly like I intended them, but uh, I'll str- struggle. You're fine. My question to the doctor, and incidentally, uh, congratulations and thank you for, uh, for your successful surgery. For, thank you. David, uh, it's amazing what technology has been able to do. Yes, sir. Recently. But... Um, my question is about nicotine addiction. Yeah. I have never I have never smoked. I grew up was raised on a tobacco farm so I knew better than to smoke. <laughs> but I do I do have and have had an addiction for chewing tobacco. Not the snuff, but the long what they call the long cut. The the uh, beach nut, the red man yes, sir. type of stuff. And it's highly addictive, and they they give you the warning right on the on the package, and and I know it's addictive because I I crave it every morning. Yes, sir. But my question for the doctor is, how harm harmful is nicotine to a person like myself that has, has a history of, of heart problems? Okay, so so the issue for you is not nicotine because nicotine is is not by itself harmful. I mean, there's some people who are way out there who think that nicotine is. Nicotine is a good drug. It helps people calm down. <coughs> Excuse me. For you, the issue is the stuff in the spit. So you all know you put the big chaw in your mouth and you carry around a little thing and you spit in it. That brown gook is can cause mouth cancer. And you're going to swallow some, even though you don't want to. It can cause cancer of the esophagus and cancer of the stomach. Now, for me, smoking is 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 pleasurable, not just for the nicotine effect in my brain, but because the way it feels in my lungs. And for a lot of people who chew or who dip, it's called the snuff, mm-hmm. it's the taste. And it's the feeling of that expansion of juicy stuff in your mouth. So... Nicotine addiction is not so bad nowadays because there are nicotine replacement things. So you got gum, you got lozenges, you've got all sorts of things. So for you, the chaw is not the nicotine danger. It's the poisons, the, the, the chemicals that are in the brown juice yeah. that can cause oral cancer, gum cancer, mouth cancer, esophageal cancer, especially if you drink alcohol and chew because the alcohol dissolves the the chemicals and it floats it all the way down. So people who drink alcohol and chew have a very high risk of mouth and esophageal cancer. You heard from the doctor, Jim. Well, I did, and I can uh, understand what he's saying. Uh, I switched several years ago to a uh, sugar-free product uh, that they put some type of artificial sweetener in there, so that's not a problem necessarily. But I understand what he's saying about the byproducts. 
Jim, you, I think what he's trying to say is if you were switching to sugar-free bubble gum, y'all might be a whole lot better. Yeah, and and <laughs> I'm sure you think? it would be a whole lot cheaper. Yeah, you know, good the for you. Tobacco products have have gotten uh, ridiculously high. When I first started, uh, probably in excess of seventy years ago, uh, the tobacco products was about fifty cents or less yeah. per pack. Now it's over five dollars per pack. So yep. Yep. that alone is a good de- deterrent to to stop uh, chewing. Well, that's what they tried by raising taxes to get people to smoke less, sure. and it works. Sure. Jim, we got to go. Okay, well, thank you for your service. I enjoyed the program. I listen every week and continue the good work, and uh, I'll be listening in. Thank you. And call us again. We love talking to you. All right, take okay. care. Okay, thank you, sir. Coming up next, we've got a bunch of people to shout out. Some great news from the world of medicine, including uh, Duke and Krispy Kreme. Not often we put them together. Uh, it's a shout-out for Krispy Kreme uh, in just a moment on Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and down, throw my hands up and down, throw my head back and down. Come on now. Hey, yeah. yeah, we're looking at each other really the, the two of us are sitting here saying, who are we shouting out? Well, we got a bunch of people to shout. First, uh, I went to a funeral this morning, oh and my, yes. it was uh, a wonderful funeral for a wonderful human being. And Valerie Tompkins is the mother of my personal assistant, um, and her name is Dallas Tompkins, and um, Valerie was my patient. We found a lung mass, uh, and it, to make a long story short, she had a very aggressive type of lung cancer. That was two years ago. Right, And we kept her going, Dr. Russell Anderson and some other people involved in her care. And she passed uh, early this week. And, you know, she's in heaven. Uh, she's smiling. She's not suffering. But right. the great thing is she got two really good years after a diagnosis of an aggressive uh, lung cancer. And it's a, a testament to the care she got, not just from the doctors, but also from her family, who are just a wonderful group of people. Very good. Krispy Kreme is what are offering a free donut? Well, or? you know, this is either uh, a shout out or a shame because, you know, we're anti sugar and anti flour. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. what's in a glazed donut? Flour and sugar. Yeah. And so, if you get a coronavirus vaccine, you get yes. a free donut once a day from Krispy Kreme. And you don't have to wait. Until the sign goes up that it's hot and ready. You know no, I mean? no, 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 no. And so, yeah, that's good because it's going to encourage all of us to not listen to the Facebook weirdos. Get your vaccine. It'll really help not just you but the country. But then there's a two-edged sword, you mm-hmm. know. So yeah. if you're going to do it, great, but not every day. Okay, no? I'm going to say once every two weeks, go get your glazed donut. I can't. I can't go ever. Well, yeah, I'm that's now, true. At this point, I know. I've got to invent a glazed donut that's made out of, uh, what's that flour people use? I, I don't know. Almond flour and Splenda. Yeah, that's not going to be good. Well, that's you never not going to be good. You never know. I, I, I know. Every time they try to replace sweet stuff with something that's not going to hurt me, or flour and saturated fats with something that's not going to hurt me, 
it ends up tasting like cardboard. Yeah, but you, you know, well. cardboard's not bad. No, it's a, I'm sure it's good for me. Yeah, dirt, seaweed, you know. There's something about Duke University. Yeah, Duke's, Duke's involved in something that I think we should have been doing from the start and that the kids need the vaccine. So they're yeah. now involved in the study of kids. And I'm talking about young kids to adolescents. They're studying the COVID-19 uh, uh, vaccine. I'm going to predict that it's going to work and it's going to be safe. But, you know, they didn't test it. When we came out with Pfizer and Moderna, they stopped at age 16. Right. So, And then the idea of pregnant women, yeah. uh, it, they're volunteering, mm-hmm. uh, some of them are, to be in studies to see if it's safe. Um, and so I'm just going to shout out this whole program. Duke, get us the answer. Yale University finally got around to firing the psychiatrist, Bandy Lee. Well, we she was in the Hall of Shame about six times. Right. And she's a psychiatrist who took it upon herself to diagnose President Trump as a paranoid, schizophrenic, you know, homicidal maniac. Yeah. And anybody who supported Trump sure. were homicidal, suicidal, not suicidal, homicidal maniacs. Um, and, you know, you can't – this is why, you know, I'm very careful with my callers. Yeah. I can't diagnose you or them over the phone. It's not right. Because you have to look at the patient, you have to listen to their heart and lungs, you have to have a prolonged conversation mm-hmm. before you diagnose somebody. And she never went to the White House and and investigated, uh, examined President Trump or any of the other supporters. And so this was sub rosa. I mean, I just found out she'd been fired right? because the news story is one of the Trump supporters is suing her for announcing on air that he was mentally ill. You you can't – you cannot even – we're sitting across the table yeah. here. You are not my cardiologist. No, and I, I can't you be because we are – we have – this is a boundary issue. Right. Okay? The boundary issue is that you and I are close on a personal level. And so when you are close on a personal level, your families, your close friends, you should not be their doctor. Right. But you could not diagnose me – you don't have my chart. I don't have your you, chart. You know everything about my medicines, but you don't have my chart. You're to not see my the doctor. Past history. Right. Right. And I, I also don't have my stethoscope. Right. I, I can't listen to your heart. I don't have my sphygmomanometer. Right. Right. What With is that? Blood That's pressure a quiz. Cuff. Oh, you knew that. I knew that. Yeah. All right. And so, you know, don't let somebody who has not laid hands on you and right. laid stethoscopes on you and looked you in the eye and and talked to you extensively, diagnose you. It's just wrong. I mean, you suspect strongly that I'm a paranoid schizophrenic. No. <laughs> you're sure? No, I think you're delusional. Delusional? Yeah, because because you think that I'm a good guy, and that's okay. really delusional. <laughs> that's very delusional. This is Heart Health Radio. Get better, stay healthy, spot medical misinformation. Another hour Coming up next. The following is a paid program and the views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Information provided is of a general nature. Listeners seeking specific advice should contact a licensed professional in the appropriate area. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio. 
Heart Health Radio. Oh, 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 HeartHealthRadio.com. Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation by listening to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts or at HeartHealthRadio.com or on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. This is a good show today. It's well, almost yeah, like we've got and, a hit. You know, if you didn't hear the last hour, if you're just tuning in now, <coughs> Dave Alexander uh, underwent coronary artery bypass surgery just about nine days ago, ten days ago. It was a week ago Wednesday. So that's ten days. I feel good. He looks great. I mean, if you could just see him, and soon we will have our um, Facebook Live back, and we're heading toward YouTube channel. Yeah. We still want you to listen because you never know what Dr. Weefald's going to say. Or do. But he's got rosy cheeks. And, you know, I, I want to say this. What's that? Rosy cheeks in yeah. somebody who's had surgery yeah. is a good thing. Really? The, and, you know, smiling. Okay. Bright eyes, rosy cheeks means you're getting better. Now, rosy cheeks can be a sign of something called Fifth's disease. You ever heard of that? No. It's because there were four, you know, common uh, uh, illnesses, you know, in, you know, viral illnesses in kids. And it was the fifth one described. And it's called slap cheeks, yeah. slap cheek syndrome. So if your kid has rosy cheeks, you know, consider that. But. Dave looks fantastic. And last hour we had his surgeon on, Dr. Brian Bolton, and he talked about it. Um, so if you want to hear and you haven't heard, go Apple Podcasts. You can go to WPTF yep. and then you can find it on there because it was just a great hour. And, um, and we had Melissa Alexander on talking about how families support and save lives in the postoperative patient. Yes. We're going to talk this hour about the ex-CDC director yeah, who says, guess what? COVID can be blamed more than likely on the Wuhan lab. Yeah. And, um, and boy, did he stick his foot in it. Yeah. I happen to agree that there is a lot of evidence that it's true. Right. Um, but I'm not, I'm not going to step out of the limb and say I know it's true. All right. And the uh, J&J vaccine... Where can you get it? Because a lot of people are now. Oh, that's the number one question. They're pr- yeah. they're, they're they're saying to themselves, "I only want to get stuck once." Yeah. yeah. So so yeah. how do we so, get, how um, do we solve that? I just found out uh, North Carolina got eighty three thousand doses last week of the J and J vaccine. Unfortunately, it's not being distributed evenly yet, but Wake County has it. And so, if you want to find out how to get specifically the J and J. Mm-hmm. Wake County Health Department will be able to tell you where you can get it. Um, so you can get your vaccines now at many different places. And un- this is one of my bugaboos mm-hmm. is that elderly individuals who need the vaccine often don't have computers. Right. And so um, Walgreens and CVS and I believe Walmart make you sign up online. Yeah. So – if your kids are out there and they're computer savvy, they can do it for you. You don't personally have to do it. They can do it for you. They can sign you up. And it's real important you get this vaccine. Now, 
Everybody wants a J. Not everybody. I'm exaggerating. I do this a lot. A lot of people want the J and J because right. they think, oh, it's only one shot. That's great. Um, and I think the J- don't don't worry. You, any all three of them will be effective for you. Uh, it'll mostly prevent you from getting it, but when you if you do get it, more than likely you have a mild case. So you know you're hearing all this stuff about well, so and so was tested positive and had the vaccine. That's going to happen. We know that's just like if you get the flu vaccine, you can get the flu. But it's much, much, much more likely to be a very mild case. And in fact, with J&J and AstraZeneca, not a single person in their studies who had their vaccine versus the placebo died. And very few went to the ICU. And, you know, the 76 percent effective, 92 percent effective. Those are very high numbers for vaccines. So I definitely encourage you. J&J is a single shot. The Pfizer and Moderna are two shots now, one one shot a month apart from the other shot. Get whatever's available. Right. Don't hesitate. I think J&J's great. But if you can't get it in your county and you can get the Moderna, the shot doesn't hurt that much. I mean, when you got yours, did you flinch? Nothing. I had yeah. nothing. So I'm going to be honest. Um, the shot itself didn't hurt. The next day with the first dose, I had a little bit of soreness. I got, you know— Knock for a loop with the second dose. I mean, right. I had muscle aches two days later, low-grade fever. I felt, you know, achy, but it went away in a couple of days. And believe me, that's nothing compared to what you get with COVID. Right. Steve in Durham, welcome to Heart Health Radio. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing well. I'm Good. doing well, guys. I appreciate the show. You really help the community a lot. And, Dave, I'm glad to hear that you're doing well. Thank you very much. What's going on well, with you? Quest- my question is about the vaccine. Yeah. Now, for someone, doctor, who has recovered, had the virus and recovered, and currently has antibodies, my question is, I thought, well, I'd get the J&J shot because it's just a one, it's just one shot, but I'm reading that the J&J shot has something called a viral vector, and it might not work as well as the others because of uh, the way it reacts to the immunity to the virus. So you're talking like about that. which one might be more effective because of its nature, right? Whether it's right, yeah. Pfizer, or Moderna, or mRNA. Right. Okay, that's a great question. So, um, what do I mean by viral vector? So there is an adeno virus that infects chimps, but not us. So they took the DNA, and, and it's a DNA virus. Um, what that means is the genetic material is two-stranded instead of one-stranded anyway. And they were able to genetically manipulate that adenovirus, and they put in the spike protein. So now when the adenovirus gets into the human, it doesn't cause disease from the adenovirus, right. and it produces the spike protein by hijacking the machinery in your own cell to produce the spike protein, which you create, and then you get an antibody to. Now, Moderna and Pfizer are mRNA. What does that mean? It's a single-stranded genetic uh, instruction molecule, and that's it. There's nothing else except the mRNA, and they code it with a lipid particle. What's that? They basically dip it in fat, and the fat surrounds it. They injected it into your body, they inject it in your body, and then your cells absorb it. 
they absorb that little fat particle. And these are teeny weeny particles. Yeah. You can barely see them with an electron microscope. And then the mRNA, instead of the DNA, the mRNA hijacks your, your um, proteins that make pro- proteins, and they produce the spike protein, and it gets out into your system. Yes, there are some people who think the mRNA is mo- more potent, and they say, well, the J&J only was 76%, and the Moderna was 92%. Don't believe them. We don't know yet which one is better. The reason why I think, and I can't tell you this for sure, but other people agree, that the J&J had a 76% uh, effect, efficacy versus 92 for Moderna and Pfizer and 96 was because the J&J lagged behind in time. And so uh, some of the people who got the J&J were exposed to the variants. By that, I mean the one floating around Britain, the one floating around South Africa. And we know that Moderna and we know that Pfizer are not as effective against those. And we're working on getting the vaccines that are going to be effective and giving everybody another booster. And then we say, oh, no, I need another shot. But I would get whatever is available. Yeah. They all work. And so if you, if you get online and Walmart or Walgreens or your health department has Moderna available, sign up, march down, stick out your arm, and get the shot no matter what. Um, everybody wants, not everybody, I said this already, a lot of people want J&J because it's a single shot. And it's great, but don't wait. Whatever one's available, uh, I think they all work well. Then there are different mechanisms between the J&J and the two others, the Pfizer and the Moderna. Now, there is another one coming out soon. Yeah. And it's called Novavax, and it's out of Gaithersburg, Maryland, where I grew up. Oh, yeah. And what it is is a microparticle. It's part of the spike protein. So it's an actual protein that is in multiple copies, and it's tiny, and it works. So injecting, instead of making your body produce the spike protein through a genetic instruction from hijacking your cell, it's the actual part of the spike protein. And so it goes in right away, and boom, you get antibodies and and most importantly, or just as importantly, T-cells. And so, you know, there's all sorts of different mechanisms. And the Novavax has been shown to work very well, too. So I don't think the mechanism of action or how it produces the spike protein and induces uh, immunity is, is an issue. So my recommendation is to run out and get whatever one's available to you. Makes sense, Steve. Okay. Yeah. Have a great day. I hope I wasn't too uh, bloviating in that response. I bloviate a lot. Thank you, Steve. All right. Well, you gotta. Your message is simply said: if you are that close to getting the vaccine, the vaccine, it don't matter which. Get it. And okay. Don't, I would not recommend waiting. Okay. I just a lot of people are saying they're going to wait for J and J. No, no, no. Don't. If you can get it, get it. All right. How about this? The former head of the CDC said that, and I'm telling you, a year ago, there were strong rumors of this, that this must have escaped from the Wuhan lab. Robert Redfield, just to let you know, um, I don't think he's the cat's pajamas, okay? I disagree with him. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, he got on... Uh, TV and the Senate hearing, and he held up a mask and he said, this is as good as a vaccine. Okay. Uh. That is just not true. But, but 
we talked about this a year ago, and I went back and listened to our shows a year ago. There was a study from two Chinese scientists right. back when this all you know came out, the COVID came out, and they went to Wuhan, and they did a, a, a thorough investigation. And they looked at the wet market, you know, where they sell cats and dogs and bats and, ro- and rodents and stuff. And they went to the Virology Institute. And they, you know, came up with the conclusion that it escaped as an accident from the Wuhan Viral Institute. That was published online in China right. for about two hours. Yeah. And yeah. they took it off the, uh, the uh, internet. But luckily... Some people had seen that. Now, what are they talking about? What's the evidence? Well, the bats that were sold no, in, in the wet market and the pangolins, they've never been shown to have this coronavirus. Right. Yeah. And they went out into the wilds of China and found the bat that had it. That bat was studied in the Wuhan Virology Institute. And there was somebody even who left the Wuhan Virology Institute and got, and got you know, hammered by the Chinese Communist Party, who has said it escaped from our lab. Right. Now, you know, there are some people who are saying, and I don't necessarily agree with them, that there was, you know, um, bioterrorism, bioweapon research. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, they were manipulating the coronavirus. I don't know if that's true. I don't think it's true. But honestly, I've been wrong before, so I don't come down with, you know, pronouncements anymore. But I think it's not crazy to think that this came out of the Wuhan Virology Institute. Now, what is crazy is that NIH pays them. Yes, Howard NIH. I think it's crazy. And the other thing is, is that Dr. Fauci has never criticized the Chinese and the way they did this and the fact that it got loose. You know, the Chinese wouldn't let travel within their own country. That's right. But they let travel out to other countries. Yes. And so there are a lot of things that they did wrong. And, you know, Redfield, he may be right. Yeah. But the thing that I don't like is that we don't have freedom of speech anymore. So he's being canceled by the media. Is he? Yeah, because he's saying things that aren't in their um, paradigm, you know, in their narrative. And so I think it's very good that he spoke up because I think we need to keep that in the back of our minds as to where this came from. So that we don't let another lab working on some crazy virus, you know, um, have lack safety right. and let those things escape. You know, this, did you see this the other day? Mm. They found a 300 million, 300 million year old bacteria in the bottom of the ocean. There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. Yeah. And inside that hole was a 300 million year old bacteria. And so, they're bringing it back to life. Of course they are. What are they doing that for? Because I mean, we don't know what it's going to do to us, you know, and this is the same thing about, you know, aliens searching right. for aliens. Right. Oh, yeah. The aliens are naturally going to be nice and they're going to love us and they're going to come down and show no. us all. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, they may want to just eat us alive. Literally. I'm so afraid of bacteria at this point. I don't even clean out my refrigerator. <laughs> I don't. I just won't do it because I'll discover something that is laid dormant. For a decade. 300 million years. 300 million years. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't want to. Why would anybody want to revive a 300 million year old bacteria? Curiosity. Killed the cat. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there is that. Yeah. There is that. Yeah. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network.
This is the Heart Health Radio Network. I'm Dave Alexander. Here is Dr. Franklin Weefold. Who are we shaming this time? Uh, I am going to shame Facebook. Yeah? Yeah, because, you know, I don't know what the true answer to this is, but all the anti-vaxxers now are just out in force. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't have they have they canceled Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? I don't I don't know. I don't know. I know that that Twitter took him off for a while. But, you know, the truth is that no vaccine is 100 percent safe. Right. None. Right. And so you got to look at the risk and benefit. And the risk is a handful of the 100 million do- doses have caused allergic reactions in people that you couldn't have predicted. Sure. You know, they were allergic to the lipid coating, and we didn't know. And, yes, people are getting COVID who've had the COVID vaccines. Duh. I mean, it's something we expected. Yeah. But people aren't dropping dead, and they're not going into the intensive care unit on ventilators. So a vaccine is not 100% effective. It's never been. There's never been a vaccine that is 100% effective. No. Mm-hmm. How do we know this is good? Smallpox. Yeah. The smallpox vaccine caused reactions in some people. The polio vaccine, it gave some people polio when the vaccine wasn't um, produced correctly. It was a live virus, and they had to, what they call, attenuate it. And people got polio. But have you ever heard of anybody getting smallpox or polio anymore? No. And, and in this century, hundreds of millions of people have died of smallpox in areas where there is no vaccine. And, and polio, just in the 50s. That's not that long ago, 60, 70 years ago. Polio every summer and every spring was ran the concept of getting polio ran shivers yeah. up mother's spines and father's spines. Their kid was going to be paralyzed. So vaccines work. They're not 100% safe. They're not 100% effective. But we didn't expect them to be. And go out and get your vaccine. Do you remember electing Facebook to be your gatekeeper? No. To be the the group that decides not well, let's put it this way: the group that decides whether you get to see something yeah. and to read something. Yeah, and so it, it, you know, clearly, Facebook has taken sides, and they took sides in the election uh, for the Democrats. They and they're taking sides now. Uh, Fauci uh, can't be criticized on Facebook; it gets eliminated. Yeah, and they have a way not to. Um, let people share stories. They sort of say, well, we'll slowly share that one. And I believe in freedom of speech. Um, I think things that are, you know, promoting violence uh, should be taken off. Right. Um, And, and, you know, look, people should be allowed to say what they want. Freedom of speech. If you're an anti-vaxxer, go ahead. Say what you want to say. But we need to have other voices who say that they're wrong. And so if you're listening and you're on Facebook, type out, did the anti-vaxxer that you're reading go to Johns Hopkins, Princeton, and Duke? If not, believe Dr. Weefald instead. Right. You know? But, you know, here's the interesting thing. You've actually had a person who was an anti-vaxxer on this show with the idea, let's engage rather than let's just shout each other down. If you're an anti-vaxxer right now, call me. Because I'll engage you, yeah, and I'll listen to one anti-vaxxer. I, I I said polio's gone, and the vaccine got rid of polio. And you know, you know what she said? Yeah, 
Oh, no, that, that was DD, DDT. DDT got rid of polio? Right. And so what is DDT? Yeah. That's, a, that's an insecticide well, against, against uh, mosquitoes, I think. Yes, yeah. yes. It doesn't work on viruses. It's an effective one, by the way. Oh, There's really? a whole story there about DDT. Well, you know what? They got rid of DDT and what happened in Africa. Malaria, Malaria. came back. Yeah. All right, listen, there's a shortage of cardiologists in the world. I'm short. <laughs> yeah, no, I've I'm never not. seen one taller than six feet. Oh, yeah, I'm six. I'm, I used to be six foot. <laughs> I'm 5'11". I've shrunk my All back, right. everything. But there aren't enough doctors well, in certain areas. Yeah, well, there aren't enough doctors in the United States. Um, let me tell you what's happening. Uh, because of our medical system and our improved hygiene, we're living longer. Now, yeah. you know, this our life expectancy is going down. If you're not getting murdered in parts of the inner city, if you're not dying of injecting heroin or smoking meth, you're going to live longer. Oh, That's just all there is to it. That's good. The reason why our life expectancy is going down is because of COVID and because of uh, young white people in the rural areas dying of overdoses mm-hmm. and because of murder, mm-hmm. um, which has gone up. Uh, and so as we get older, we're going to have a higher risk of heart disease. And so I've seen this um, in my area alone. And we've got five cardiologists in Johnson County full time. Right. And I'm getting 10, 15 new patient requests a week. And that's not been the way it was five years ago. It was maybe three or four. Right. And so as we get older, um, we are going to have a higher risk of getting heart disease. Now, here's one of the reasons why we're not – why we are going to have a shortage of cardiologists. Number one, fewer people were going to medical school until this year. Right. And you know why fewer people went to medical school? Because it wasn't fun anymore. And the reason why it's not fun anymore is because you have to now prove you did what you did and you spend all your time with a mm-hmm. chart. It's not fun. Well, that's kind of changing, but everybody wants to be Dr. Fauci. And so <laughs> they're going to have to come up with a residency in TV. <laughs> so if you want to be a TV doctor, great. You go to medical school and then you get that residency. So we need more doctors. We need more cardiologists. Now, the other reason why we're not getting cardiologists, it's hard. Yeah. Okay. Everybody wants to be stuff. a dermatologist. All right. This is Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefald. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. Call that number right now. We'll get you on 919-860-9783. I can't believe you want to talk about this story. Well, I think it's important because I didn't know. I mean, I just didn't know. I, I've never experienced this particular thing. Well, apparently, I mean, apparently, there are. Apparently, yeah. Okay, so if you are out there yeah. and you urinate and you're a man, yeah, standing up, yeah, and you shiver. Now, apparently, this is common. And so, what happens is, as your bladder empties, yeah, it sends a signal to the brain, and in some people, the signal goes back. To make your whole body shiver. Now, I didn't know this. That's never happened to me, but apparently it's a common problem. Griffiths University, where that is, Dr. Mark Barton, studies this problem. Yeah, because he's got nothing better to do. Well, I don't know. He didn't do so well on the COVID, <laughs> right? He's not actually a microbiologist well, guess what who's he doing up? valuable stuff. He came up with a cure. He came up with a cure for something we've never heard of? Yeah. Great. So what, you know what the cure is? What is it? 
you sit down to urinate. So if you're a man and you shiver, you sit down from now on when you urinate and you won't shiver anymore. I mean, I think this guy should get the Nobel Prize. Yeah. I think they should have a special category. (laughs) You know, there's one in physics, there's one in chemistry, should have a Nobel Prize in urination. I, I don't know. Urination. Urination. All right. Notice well, I, I kept that medical. Thank you. I did. Thank you for doing that. I did. Um, it's funny because, you know, during the week I teach and we have a uh, we have um, a geography B, a geography B in the school. And I, I put up a poster once. I said, we are number one in states, in countries, and in continents. And nobody got the joke. <laughs> nobody got the joke. Oh, in continents. In continents. Nobody uh-huh. got the joke. Depen- that, you know what? Yeah. They would say, well, that depends. That depends. <laughs> All right. So there is something called long COVID. Yeah. I and, don't even want the short yeah. COVID. So um, I've got two to five, five patients with long COVID. And what does that mean? It means you get the infection and months later you're still sick. Wow. So you're either short of breath, a hacking cough. Um, you know, just fatigue, brain uh-huh. fog. And the interesting one, I've had two young women now who have POTS, P-O-T-S, where it's postural, means when you stand up. Yeah. Orthostatic means standing up causes it. Tachycardia, which means your heart starts to race, syndrome. So what that means is you stand up, your blood pressure falls, your heart races, and you almost pass out. It's been linked to COVID. And I sort of went, wow, because I have these women who had it. I never made the link because they both had COVID. Well, anyway, all of these syndromes are terrible to manage, POTS especially, because you got to do all these things to get their blood pressure back up. So they got to eat salt. They got to drink water. They got to wear compression stockings to keep the blood from pooling in their legs. Sometimes you got to give them medicines to absorb more salt and to tighten up their arteries. Well, it's interesting that um, a lot of people were not going to get the vaccine if they've already had COVID because they think, well, I am already immune. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have long COVID, guess what? There's a good chance getting the vaccine will stop your long COVID. Nobody really knows why, but this just came out. And uh, it's really funny. Darren Brown was a guy that was in in the news lately, and he had horrible fatigue, um, shortness of breath, and he decided, well, what the heck? It's been six months since I had COVID. Got his vaccine, and the symptoms went away within a, you know a week. Yeah. And now this is a commonly seen uh, phenomenon, um, and it's not been studied. You know, they're not going to do a double blind randomized trial where you give up a long COVID, maybe they will, long COVID a saline shot, not knowing, a long COVID a vaccine, but maybe they will do that. But uh, if you've got long COVID and you're hesitant getting the vaccine, there is one more reason because it's possible that um, your long COVID will get better or go away. By getting the vaccine? Yeah. Even though for most of us, getting a vaccine is what you do to prevent Right. And so we don't know why this is happening. Some people think that um, when the um, spike protein is produced, it's absorbing the bad um, uh, antibodies that 
may be cross-reacting. So let me let me be more clear. Yeah. When you get COVID, and you if you have long COVID, they 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 think that the antibodies that this individual with long COVID produced against the spike protein mm-hmm. are also reacting with their own body. Okay. Right. So you get the vaccine, you produce the spike protein, and those bad antibodies are being absorbed by the spike protein and then okay. disappearing from your body. But that's not for sure. But think about it. I mean, I, I'm not saying you should. Um, I do tried to think it. about it and I was unsuccessful. Well, come on now. I mean, I, I do the best I can here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. There have been a number of false diagnoses, yeah. stories that you've heard about. Yeah, and I think the reason why I want to talk about this is because there is a situation um, where, you know, this this guy, uh, what was his name again? Noah Wall. And he's from England, and he's uh, 35 years ago. Yeah. He had a fatal brain tumor diagnosis. He had a bad headache, and they did his CAT scan or an MRI back then. They did have him back then. They were, you know, um, rudiment, rudimentary, as they say in the scepter dial. But anyway, so they did a biopsy, and it's interesting because two of the pathologists at his local hospital yes. called it a benign astrocytoma. Benign meaning not a bad thing. Right. Benign. Like, you know. Yeah. You know, I can be benign or I can be malignant. You can you know, be, yes. can be malignant. Anyway, yes. so they sent it to a university, to a specialist. Right. And it came back malignant astrocytoma. Wow. So what did they do? They went with that. Yes. And when that happened, they rushed him, you know, into a treatment program. And he had some surgery. He had some chemo. He had some radiation. And... They knew something was wrong because he didn't die. You mean he just didn't seem to get worse? Uh, no. He because grew. He, he was young when this happened. He grew. He got better. Yeah. Um, no residual side effects except from the chemo. Yeah. And so this one guy who's been studying this phenomenon called him up and said, hey, you should be dead. Okay? <laughs> oh, my. And so I'm oh. going to get a hold of your slides. Yeah. look at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first two guys who in his local hospital called it benign were right. It was benign. And for some reason, the guy at the big place, the big kahuna, got it wrong. So, yeah. lesson. Yeah. Get a second, get a third. Oh, gosh, Maybe yes. you can get a fourth opinion on your slides. Because it. this is the reason you don't want to go through chemo and radiation if you don't need to. I want the. I want four or five doctors in the room. All agreeing if they're going to tell me something that bad. I did that for my mom. Yes, you yeah, did? I did. I had four people look at it. Yep. Yeah. All right. D in Carrie, welcome to Heart Health Radio. Hi, D. Hi. Um, this is a question for both of you, actually. I, I listen religiously. I, I never miss a show because you learn from your callers as well. Yes. And uh, Dr. Weasel is brilliant. But um, Thank you. Dave, I listened right from the beginning when you said you were tired going up the stairs. And yes. Then you, then you went to the doctor and you had, which sort of shocked me, an ultrasound that showed you had the four blockages. Now, I went to my doctor, who is, uh, I forget the technical term, electrotype cardiologist, who studies the electricity of the body. And um, I 
can't believe that from the ultrasound you can see blockages. Well, here's the thing, D. Here is the... I actually had the echocardiogram. Yeah, the ultrasound. And the ultrasound. Yeah. And it was not diagnosed right. then. If, if I made that um, mistake... I, I was talking about the ultrasound for pulmonary hypertension, and that's when the blood pressure is really high in the lungs. And you are correct. Um, there is only one situation where it can tell a problem, and I'll tell that in a second. But cholesterol buildup in the arteries to the heart, I have seen them in very thin people. Sometimes you can see the arteries, and you can see the cholesterol in an ultrasound. What tells you if you've got a blockage, the test for that are stress tests. So a stress echo. You can combine the ultrasound with a stress test. Right. And the way you know is that your heart's beating normally at rest. Yeah. And when you start to exercise and you, you, you get chest discomfort, you quickly get another copy of the ultrasound and you right. can see part of the muscle getting weak and you deduce that there's a lack of blood flow there. Now, I will tell you, D, here, let me. Yeah. I can tell you the exact moment and how I was diagnosed. They put me into the cath lab, prepared to, if they needed to, insert stents Mm -hmm. into my vascular system, into my... Coronary arteries. Thank you. Coronary arteries. My coronary arteries. D, they, they squirted some dye into me. In squirting the dye into me, they observed it on a screen. And from that information and that information alone, they said, "Dave, we got to open you up. Mm-hmm. We got we got to do yeah. the operation." Does right. that make sense, D? And, and I wasn't talking about the pulmonary, and I didn't say that right was blockages in the arteries. Like that. Yeah, no, so, no, no, no. I didn't. I did. I, I was on the treadmill. Yeah. And they gave me the uh, ultrasound, and then they. Pulled me off right away and did the right. sound again. That's the stress echo. Yeah. yeah. That's what Dave first had. Is that correct? What I actually had was the um, the stress test without getting on the treadmill. Right. I had the chemical stress test. And you had the nuclear um, dye that shows up on the x-ray. Okay. Right. So what she had was just what I talked about. They did an echo, an ultrasound while she's resting. Got her on the treadmill. She got to the max, whipped her off, put her on the table, and checked the ultrasound again. Yeah. And if you see a part of the heart muscle getting weak, then you can deduce the reason why it's getting weak is because it doesn't have enough blood flow. Therefore, it has a blockage. It's called de- deduction. Well, let's go back to D. D, are you concerned that you have something and it has not been diagnosed? Yes. Okay. And, and okay. So. So the way you got it is they put the dye right. in you. They put you in a cast lab and injected you with dye. Right. And, D, it's, it's not a small procedure. I mean, it, from the standpoint of people treating it ter- seriously, you got to have an appointment. Yeah. This is not like yeah. a, you know, a surgeon does well, it. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you having symptoms of shortness of breath or discomfort? Shortness of breath, and I've never had that before. Yeah. I'm an exercise nut, been doing it for 70 years my whole life, uh, 95 pounds, mm-hmm. never had a breathing problem in my life, and now the breathing. I, sure. I, get on my, I get on my treadmill, and I'm worried I'm going to fall off okay. because I get so, so dizzy. Okay, so two options for a patient Please. like you. 
is to get a different kind of stress test. Um, you ever heard of false negatives and false positive tests? What does that mean? That means that a test is negative when you really have the disease. Or the te- that's false negative. False positive means the test said you have a disease and you don't. If you look at the stress ultrasound or the stress echo, it has a high incidence of false negatives. Um, when, when it's positive, it's usually almost 100% positive. But when it's negative, it's not sensitive enough sometimes to pick up the blockage. So the stress nuclear scan is a different option. And that measures um, the actual blood flow. Um, they, they put in a radioactive material that doesn't last very long. It goes where blood goes. So you do your exercise, and they inject you with the um, radioactive blood flow tracer. And then on an outside camera, they can tell if there's a lack of blood flow. That's more sensitive. Um, and then there are other things. A CT scan, believe it or not. There's something called a CT angiogram, a CAT scan. You lie in a tube. And they inject you with this dye, but it goes in your vein, not your artery. And then if it's really done right, they can tell if you've got a blockage. So here's what I would recommend. Did the cardiologist do your stress ultrasound? Yes. Okay. Go back to that cardiologist. And and this is what I do. If I say someone's got a negative test and I say, we'll come back in two weeks. If you're still symptomatic, we'll see what happens. Go back. Tell him or her that you're still symptomatic and see what they say about some other tests down the line that can back up or maybe refute mm-hmm. the negative test that you had with the stress ultrasound. You said the last one, I, it was a CAT scan with uh, contrast? Yeah, you had that. Um, I had that because I was misdiagnosed with a hole in the heart. And that okay. was done about a year ago. And I've had the nuclear because I've got uh, mitral valve prolapse and stuff like that. Sure. Measure that. Okay. Sure. I had that about a year ago. But um, I never had that breathing then. You know, yeah. So talking. things are different. And yeah. the CT angiogram is specifically to look at, they, they tune it up yeah. to specifically look at whether there are blockages in the arteries to the heart. So. My recommendation to you is check check with your doctor and see if you if he agrees or she agrees that you need another test like a stress nuclear test or a CT angiogram. Thank you, D. Thank you both very much. You take care. Right, I appreciate that. That's a a little great question because you know we talk about all these tests. Right. Sometimes they're wrong. You know. So I had somebody who had classic symptoms and the stress test was negative, and they came to me and I said, look. Yeah. The test could be false negative. And I set him up for a cath, and I got a phone call from the family doctor just screaming at me, you know, <laughs> you just want the money. The test was negative. And so I had to explain yeah. that the symptoms are, you know, co- well, I say compelling. Yeah. And that guy had a main blockage, the left main, not just the widow maker. This is like the skull crusher. It was in the main <laughs> artery feeding everything. <laughs> and the reason why it didn't show up. Yeah. It was balanced. So there wasn't one area not getting blood flow with stress. It was the whole heart. So comparing a lack of blood flow in the whole heart is very difficult. And so that person got bypassed, and I called up uh, the family doctor and said, yeah, you know, left main blockage, balance ischemia, and 
she hung up on me. <laughs> That's a true story. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I've just so Dean knows, I've had everything tested. When I say I've had everything tested, they brought me in pre-op for this procedure and they I had a CAT scan, I had I had Do you know why they did that CAT scan? No. Did they tell you? No, not really. Well, because your aorta, okay, can be diseased. It can have cholesterol buildup. But worse, it can have calcium because the cholesterol causes inflammation and then inflammation leads to calcium. Mm -hmm. That can be a problem when they go to sew those arteries onto the aorta because they're crispy critters instead of nice, juicy materials. Yes. So people say, why am I getting a CAT scan? That's why. Okay. Those who turned in, tuned in last week or the week before and said, yeah, wouldn't Dave do to be operated on? Yeah. I'm through it. I'm through it. And you got to take care of your heart. Just by listening to this radio show, you can do that. We're going to talk about herd immunity next on the Heart Health Radio Network. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and down Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts or at hearthealthradio.com. Who we shout now? Well, a man near and dear to my heart. I'm a Yankees fan. Are you a baseball fan? No, not Okay, I'm a Yankees fan but yeah. since I was a kid. And I've always known of a very famous Yankee, Dr. Bobby Brown. And I say Dr. Brown because he really was a doctor. He um, went to college. He served in World War II, served in the Korean War, yes. had the world record for the uh, highest batting average in a World Series, 500. He batted 500 in a World Series. That's pretty good. And after he retired, oh, actually, no, I'm wrong. He went to medical school while he was playing baseball. Now, right. I don't know how he did that. Probably the offseason, he did a bunch of stuff. And sure. They probably, because he was famous, gave him you know, time, more time to do it and could do his classes. But anyway, became a physician became a cardiologist, and just was world-renowned in Texas. Right. I think he was in Texas and world-renowned. Well, then he retired. He became president of the American League. <clears throat> the interesting thing is one of my other favorite players is Yogi Berra. Sure. Okay? So Yogi's the one who, you know, says all these great things. You know, it gets it gets late early, you know. That it's not nobody, over till it's over. Nobody goes to that restaurant. It's all always too crowded. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, – he and Bobby Brown were roommates. Yeah. So everybody would think, you know, here's highfalutin, well-educated, you know, Dr. <laughs> Bobby Brown with Yogi Bear. And guess what? What? They're best friends. Sure. And so the lesson not only in his life is that dedication to service, you can still <clears throat> be a famous baseball player and you can be accomplished and, you know, but there's no reason that people from different backgrounds. Right. Education is not intelligence. That's exactly right. And Yogi Berra was an incredibly intelligent man. And they were best friends. And so, you know, don't hang around people of your own educational level or whatever because you're going to find that a human being is a human being. And you're going to be friends with all different types of people. And that's one of the main reasons I'm shouting them out. You've been able to uh, be friends with me. Oh, come on. You went to the world-renowned... Oswego University. Yes, I did. What does Oswego mean, anyway? uh, It means uh, something to do with the 
opening of the waters. Uh, Is it like a Native the American? Mouth of, mouth of the river. Yeah, the Oswego Indians, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. The, the um, Yeah, it's funny. But on this, t- this show today, we've had uh, a Princeton-trained uh, uh, scientist turned uh, – what's your what's – your, uh, Medical degree from Johns the, the Johns Hopkins University Johns Hopkins School U- of Medicine, and and then he trained at Duke, and then we've got a guy who thought it was a good idea to get a four year degree in being a DJ. But come on, now. And, you and know what you told me once? What's that about radio? You know what's that? And you said, you know, you look at a uh, a box, and mm-hmm. there's a voice coming out. Oh, special. How do it know? It, how does it know? And and I've always been a radio fan. Yeah. And so, you know, you can combine radio now with YouTube. Yeah. And you can, you know, have people look at it again and look at us doing radio. You can combine it now with the podcast. And do you think the podcast is going to overtake radio? In a, in a way, sure. I don't. It's so convenient. I like turning on the radio. So do I. And being surprised. Amen. Yes. You know, what's what's coming on? Yes. You know, this crazy cardiologist and his uh <laughs> partner and his and his are gonna you know his hunchback assistant oh, Igor Alexander. <laughs> Igor All right, listen. Herd immunity. We gotta squeeze right, this herd in. Herd immunity. What is that? Will there be who herd immunity? Yeah. So so where did the term herd immunity come from? From animals. Sure. So brucellosis. Okay, what is that? That is a Bad disease of cows. And yeah. so what they do is they um, immunize these people, against, people, these cows, yeah. against brucellosis. And they only do a certain number of them till the herd is immune. Yeah. So, you know, don't think that humans are herds. Um, you know, it's just a term they apply. Yeah. So the big controversy is how many people have to either have had COVID-19 and or the vaccine before we can say that there's so many people who've had it and are immune that yeah. it's not going to spread around rapidly. And we don't know, do we? Well, Fauci said first, oh, only 60%. Sure. And then he said, oh, oh 70%. And then he says 90%. And now he's saying we're not going to get it for a year or two. Mm. And so now, do um, you remember the guy named Hopkins? He's an uh, epidemiologist at Hopkins, and I can't remember his yeah, name. I don't know. But anyway, he's saying we're going to have it very soon. Okay. And one of the things you need to understand is that when we do antibody testing, okay, mm-hmm. of people who didn't have COVID symptoms, right. about 40% are positive for the antibody. So we think there are a lot more people who have had COVID and were asymptomatic, and that when you estimate that combined with the vaccine and everything else, they think herd immunity is coming soon. Now, what do I think? Mm. I'm not going to make a prediction because every prediction I've had about COVID has been wrong. So let's hope and pray we're going to get it. All right. That's Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor.